Hello and welcome to episode 236 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago with another sore throat, but I am speaking this time. And with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, it's good to see you. You are in yet another different room, I believe. <laughs> I'm now in my brother's old room. You're 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 holding the microphone in your hand, which I can only believe is gonna lead to some amazing audio unevenness throughout the course of this hour and a half long episode, if we're lucky. Um like the table I'm using makes for like horrible posture if i want Perfect. the microphone to be in a normal position so it's just kind of resting on my beer belly <laughs> y- yeti get at us get us the beer belly stand also with us it's gabe maxon aka spider space back on the dive down <sighs> welcome back thank you yeah. that's who that was it's good to see you gabe how's it been going i feel like we haven't talked for so long and so much happens in life these days what do you got going on yeah i was trying to think about this when stan sent me a message i was like Okay, I it, I obviously have been on here before, but it's, has it been a year? I don't I don't even know. It has been a minute, but I, I think Stanislav was like, "Look, we're talking about preordain. We got to we got to we have to get Gabe Maxon on here." I am like damaged. Like I I hurt that you think that preordain is like, oh yeah, like this is the spider space that like like when did I become the preordain guy? Like the thing is, you might not even be wrong, but I'm still coming <laughs> to terms with it. <laughs> Here's exactly what it was. I was looking for preordained text to play for this week's episode. And I was like, hey, I know that guy who just three won a, a prelim. And that's all we need. Three winning a prelim gets you in the dive down. <laughs> okay. he, I know that he knows microphone etiquette. So let's just get him on the pod. We've had runner ups to PTs. We've had mythic championship winners. And we've had three one in prelim hey, people. Hey, man. Hey, I just came back from PT Barcelona. All right. If we're going to do some clout farming here. I can, I can go I, I can go for it all right did you play the main event i did yeah how was it it did not go very well, <laughs> well how, how was barcelona though how was the how was the warm convention hall and the lovely exterior of the convention hall? so yeah i had not been to europe before i've traveled but not there and i you know i'm from new mexico so it's very hot here it was like a hundred plus degree temperature the week I left and I saw the temperature there and I was like, Ooh, that's going to be nice. It's going to be comfortable. I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have close to zero humidity here. It's very dry. Yeah. And that's why, that's why Colorado is so good. Exactly. So it it was like 85 degrees and like 80% humidity there. So, you know, I had an opponent who had heat exhaustion and then a teammate and a friend who had heat strokes so the convention hall was a little lacking in, in the air conditioning department. Yeah. Uh, did you get to check out the rest of the city? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did get to do some tourist things. I kind of regret how I planned the trip, actually, because... You had too much magic. Well, yeah, exactly. So I, I put some time before the tournament. But, of course, I'm just anxious about the tournament. And I was supposed to talk about the deck that I played, which was Jeskai Grinding Breach. And I had a buddy of mine, Ken Takahama, who played the same list as me. So I met up with him and I ended up working with him and his team a little bit, despite the fact that I was on another team who wasn't doing things. <laughs> In any case, those days that I want to do tourist things before the tournament, I just didn't because I was doing magic things. So I got to do less tourist things than I would have wanted, but 
I, yeah. I had a, I had a good time, you know, these events are such a great place just to, you know, it's, it's the gathering. I know it's the classic cheesy thing, but you, you can't, you came for the magic, you stayed for the gathering, but it's really true. These events are just full of wonderful people. And every time I go, I walk away with more friends. I only have one question. Mm-hmm. How was DJ Frodo? <laughs> I was so surprised that Elijah Wood DJed. I had no idea this was a thing. And seeing him do it, he was a natural. Like, clearly, he does this all the time. He was so into it. You could tell he was passionate about it. That's awesome. I will say Magic Players and a Club was not the iconic duo that came to mind. But (laughs) it was a good time. No, that's great. Hey, before we get into what this episode's all about, we have to tell you about Heavy Play, of course, uh, the new-ish card gaming accessories brand that, of course, will improve your game day and your gameplay. I switched it up a little bit this week. So what's cool about Heavy Play, we have play mats, we have deck boxes, we have card sleeves, all of these things, enhanced ergonomics, enhanced mobility, enhanced protection. The cool thing is the EquipMag system allows you to magnetically attach your dice, your deck boxes, your playmat all together, carry it around in a single hand uh, when you're walking around the LGS or the tournament floor. So it might be at your LGS now, or you can shop now at heavyplay.com and you can use code THEDIVEDOWN2023 for 10% off your first order at heavyplay.com. Stanislav. Thank you, Shane. Yes. What's this episode about? All right. So on this week's show, we're going to kick off with a recap of some of the results from NRG's Detroit Modern 10K. That was taken down with Amulet Titan of all decks. Well, spoilers. But then after that, we're going to start cantripping into our hottest takes ever about preordain and the state of modern blue spells. (laughs) AKA, they're all cantrips. Every one of them. Everyone says draw a card on the bottom. But before that, let's housekeep. We do have a new patron to join the Dive Down Nation, Jeff B. Jeff B. What's up? Also, shout out to Chris H. for going up a tier and their support. Thank you both. And we do have a couple shout outs for some new reviews. Shane. Yeah, I, I can't read this person's name. I'm going to take I'm gonna take a little bit of a toll off your voice here. It's not like it's already failing. We've got Fifujiti. Uh, it says, if you play Magic, you'll love this and, and a lot of nice things. Apparently, also, Fifujete uh, played me in a league, I believe. Uh, I'm sorry, I keep, I keep chat on ignore these days. I don't want to have any MTGO uh, salt. Uh, fodder i also don't want to i don't want to like get pulled in and like say something i regret like in chat and people are like oh that shane beeps what a jerk he's on mtgo salt see i always check the chat to make sure people, people recognize to... me from yes. the pod yeah exactly wait so what is your mtgo handle shane mine is shane beeps okay so next time i see you i'm gonna just go off right <laughs> yeah, just go off just say things you regret uh just seek me out sometimes sometimes now that the friendly leagues are there like i find friendly leagues to be it's funny that like the stakes are essentially the same right it's like six it's like 60 tick 60 play points versus 100 play points but for whatever reason i feel like it's going to like to the lgs I just, I don't care. I just, I don't mind throwing these things away. So I do a lot less tournament practice room stuff, but you know, you can stalk me in the tournament practice room. You see Shane Beef started a game. I'm in there and I'm salting off <laughs> turn one. You know, Shane, cause his has the caption, no control decks, no Tron, no big mana, <laughs> no lightning bolt, no thoughts. He's so yeah, it was, I'm sure we had a good game. FIFA JT. If you're on that like white 
uh, Timeless Dragon deck, you certainly owned me. Uh, and then we have another review from Jay Oatman, who says, Great. Good vibes, good guests, good takes. I appreciate that we have risen to the good. But we're also great. It's a, the review says great, but all the words say good. So Three goods. Make it great. Three goods. Anyway, um, Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down. Uh, of course, like we said last week, we there's like some Patreon errors. People's like subscriptions sort of got canceled because of payment processing stuff. If you want to go check that, make sure you're good to go. We appreciate that. We have the store over at the divedown.com slash store. We have the mana traders. If you want to use mana traders and you want 10% off of your first two months, use code the dive down 2023 barrister and man. You'll hear us do a little ad drop later, but 15% off your first order at barrister and man for uh, shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more the dive down 23. And of course, we're going to talk about Nerd Rage Gaming's modern Detroit 10K thing. But if you want 8% off of your order, we get no kickbacks from that. Use code DIVE8. Stanislav, you've moved again. I've just repositioned my chair. I realized it can go lower. Oh, is that more ergonomic? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I'm now looking straight at my computer instead of down. Yeah, the angle was not flattering, I have to say. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. NRG Detroit Modern 10K. As you know, we are the official podcast of the NRG tournament series. They had their stop in Detroit this past weekend. It was a modern 10K showdown along with the Pioneer 5K trial. If you win the showdown, that means you get into the championship at the end of the year. So there are six of those. There's the three folks who won the team. And then there are six at-large spots. And the person who won last year, I believe, is the 16. Is that 16 total people? Sounds like 16. I think that's correct. So there you go. And so there are only two more stops this year. Um, coming up in October in Indianapolis, the Motor City, and Madison in November. So this showdown had 254 players and i thought i'd go i just you know go straight to the important stuff and and i guess hold on before we get into that not straightening the important stuff what's important to remember about this is that this is kind of the first like people's tournament style thing since the pro tour for me i mean i would call it sort of like you know we have all the online events we have the paper but this is kind of like a big paper event that's going to have a lot of people that are going to be responding to the pro tour and also as always doing precisely what they want because you know you people have their own decks you know they have the decks they like to play but they're all going to of course be viewing them through the lens of the pro tour we just had so let's get into what people brought to this thing and my friends, as I'm reading through this, this is just a block of text, so feel free to chime in with all of your thoughts. The first tech, you might not be surprised. Rakdos Evoke, 33 copies, about 13% of the meta, and it ended up being about a 52-ish percentage deck. The reason I say that is because this was listed in the archetype breakdown as... <clears throat> Rakdos Evoke, Rakdos Midrange, Rakdos Aggro, Rakdos Discard, Rakdos Elementals, Rakdos Combo, and Rakdos Death Shadow, which had no Death Shadows. No, none of these names involve the word scam. I was about <laughs> to say, where's the scam? I, I have to go on a quick, just side tangent real quick here. So please, please the do. man who won the Pro Tour, Jake Beardsley, was on my team. And he was interviewed because it was his first PT. So this was before he did anything we haven't played. 
And Will Hall the big was bleep like, out scam. Well, they they specifically <laughs> told him Will. I, I talked to Will Hall. Is like you can't say scam. You're not allowed to do it. We're calling it a vote. And Jake, right before this, had just finished telling me I'm going to call it scam. And then of course he goes on to win the whole thing. And if anyone oh, gets man. to insist that it's scam, it's him. <laughs> That's funny. Do you know the re- the reasoning behind that? Like, is it just? To make the best deck in a format not sound so negative? Yeah, they talked a little bit about how Scam both sounded negative, but also wasn't the type of negative that you hear in Magic. So I brought up, like, well, how are we okay with decks like Death and Taxes being a name, but not okay with Scam? And, yeah. you know, I, I don't really think they were going to, to answer that you know, point by point, be like, well, actually, <laughs> linguistically, but that that was what I wanted. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, so we'll call it Recto Scam. And the only things I really noticed about this, besides its pretty big percentage of the meta, is, you know, Four Fable is in, main deck season Power Mancer is out in this meta. Like, I saw a few decks that had, like, one main. There's some in the sideboard. But people are just playing Four Fable right now, which I think makes sense. It's a okay card. It seems to me like it's better against Bowmaster too. Yes, that's. I think that's kind of a big thing, right? It's also better in the mirror. Just yeah, in which general. also runs Bowmaster. Yep. And up next, we had Team of Rhinos with 25 copies, 9.8% of the meta, and a 54.1% win rate. A nice showing for the horn dogs out there and the the way these decks were built were kind of all over the place like the flex cards were changing often even between the high performing decks like some had subtlety and some had fury some had brazen bower maybe one questing beast in there so i don't think we can get answers as to like what the best build of the deck is from this tournament at least there is even a, a handful of like the mutavault wizard rhino decks in like the cfb vein like stan tested the other week people definitely weren't adopting this on mass yet gabe do you like rhinos i almost played rhinos actually that was my runner-up deck and i was doing a thing that apparently no one else likes which was playing the ring in rhinos uh, i thought that yeah that, ringos yeah it, i should have thought of that i i I, this, this is so much loss equity. Where were you, Shane? <laughs> uh, if you get a clever name for your deck, that's at least three percentage points. It, it has to be. But yeah, I the big thing that turned me off of it actually was the card Delighted Halfling, which seems a little bit weird, but it really, in my mind, turned around the four-color matchup, where it used to be this great matchup, and you could pretty easily counter a Teferi, you know, you're boarding in your Mystical Disputes, which were going to be good against them anyway, but then yeah. now, post-board, you can't cut your terrible removal in Dead Gone. You just have to keep <laughs> it. And if you don't, then you can just lose the game on turn two. So it just, yeah. I don't know, it made that so awkward for me. And I, you know, this isn't really enough of a reason to not play the deck. Obviously, it did well there. But for me, that was, that was a, a big L. I, also, I think the fact that this deck doesn't just beat the ring matters the fact that you have to attack and your opponent can just yes. go, oh, I resolved this thing and you don't have counterplay, which is why we're seeing them play cards like Questing Beast. But did you really want to put Questing Beast in your deck? So the, short, the short answer is I like Rhinos, but I, it feels awkward to me and I'm not really sure how to solve the problems that I see in it. Mm-hmm. First problem is siding out Dead Gone. <laughs> yes. you, you never take that out. Mono Green Tron's up next. 
25 copies, 9.8%, same as Rhinos. Mono Green Tron with a 37% win rate. Is, I think it's actually less than 37%. I'm just quoting what uh, it was on Melee, because I found three Tron decks that were actually below 50% as well. I strongly think that Tron doing well at the Pro Tour was a result of a couple things, one of which was very good people playing the deck, but also the PT being an inbred meta. I yeah. really don't think that Tron is a good deck anymore. And you can sometimes oh find God. your spot where it's good. But I I, I don't know. I, I have no desire to run Tron. <laughs> I, I will register all sorts of nonsense if I think it's a good metagame yeah. call. But I do not know what would have to happen to me for me to register Tron. Yeah, I mean, I think the the issue with Tron, if you're not into Tron, is that, like, it has very few sort of, like, absurdly good matchups. They exist, right? And, like, they're out there. And, like, if, you know, if it's the four-color Omnath, like, Yorian days and Tron has the one ring, then, yeah, you're going to be pretty happy to disrupt the meta in that fashion. But, like, you know, it's it's not like a deck that is running over a ton of things out there. And it does have some pretty significant weaknesses with decks like Scam. It still has a pretty bad win rate against scam if it's if, if that's 13 percent of the meta you're not really going to be happy about that it's still really weak to burn and we know in these paper tournaments as we'll talk about in a second people love to bring burn and i think it's just one of those things where i think like you're saying gabe i, I don't necessarily agree that i think tron isn't good right now i think there's there's tons of good matchups in the meta but when you're weak against something like scam then it's immediately a pretty big you know hole in the armor there yeah, I mean, Scam, and like, even though the, the Rhinos matchup, it, I, I don't think Rhinos is always favored. The fact that the two other top decks can just Blood Moon of Tron out of the game and then like put down like a really powerful threat, I think is was probably a pretty bad environment for Tron this in this tournament. Yeah, and I think it's people are adapting to it really quickly, right? And Tron is definitely the type of deck that if people bring a few more pieces of Artifact Hate, they bring in a few more Blood Moons here and there, they have a Damping Sphere or two in their sideboard, and they're mulliganing to these things, sure, Tron can fight through those things eventually. But I think people do sometimes overstate just how much Tron is getting done early when its mana is disrupted or its artifacts are disrupted on its path to Tron. So, and I say that as a Tron player, like, you know, just last week I was talking about, you know, the three leagues I play. So like, you know, I, I've, I've experienced this stuff. People are getting ready for Tron more than they used to be. Following that, we have four color Omnath, 19 copies, 7.5% of the meta, and a 51.6% four color Omnath style win rate. Um, this deck did not see a wide adoption of preordain at all across the board. I was I saw one particular list that we will talk about did have preordains, but by and large, people were not shoving uh, preordain into their four color builds. We'll talk probably more about that, but initial take, Gabe, good or bad. To I mean, excuse me, would you or would you not run preordain in your four color Omnath deck? If I'm looking at a stock four color list, I absolutely would not, and I have a whole lot to say about specifically oh, this slot for preordain. Oh, lovely! We will save it for the dive down segment. Up next, burn eighteen copies, seven point one percent of the meta, forty percent win rate. People, please stop registering burn. 
it has not had a positive win rate in any tournament that we have talked about in months. Burn is a deck that I, I always feel this way. And I actually, I was talking to somebody there in Barcelona who was thinking about registering Burn. And it's the thing where I'm like, okay, this seems good against so many of these decks. Seems like you have a good win rate. And yet yeah. I still don't want to register it. And I, I am trying to wrap my brain around that. But I think it's just that not only do you get no free wins, but even the matchups where you're supposed to be super favored, you just still lose. Like, it, it, it's just, I don't know. I feel like Modern has left Burn behind. I'm, I'm sure the next league I queue up, I'm going to immediately <laughs> lose to Burn. But yep. I, 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 I do not get it. I mean, it is good if in this meta, if you expect boatloads of Tron. It's very good against Tron. It steamrolled me the last time I played it. And the and it does have some pretty strong matchups against many of the popular decks, but it's bad against the field. And I'm just repeating myself. You know, we talked about this on the PT episode. And I was just like, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been 40%. It's been 43%. It's been like 44%. That's not a deck I want to register. Up next, Titan, 13 copies, 5.1%, a nice 55% win rate. And this just largely appears to be a four of the one ring deck now. The rest of the core is kind of the deck as we know it. But yeah, Titan doing Titan things. I, I'm kind of surprised about the percentage of players bringing Titan here. But I don't know that Titan was a one ring deck like so unilaterally before Dom's top eight. And I, I think he like kind of confirmed that that like playing this on turn four is like the perfect bridge to your big old Titan play on turn five or later. I don't know if you guys have talked about this in particular, uh, but I certainly have the take that the one ring is actually best in combo decks because it's the classic card that oh. you play it and you automatically get another turn. And it's a it's, really good remand. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the best remand you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, makes total sense. But yeah, living and uh, people bringing it and it doing pretty well. Um, Merc Tide's up next. 10 players, 3.9% of the meta, so that's 40 point, and excuse me, and a 40.6% win rate. So I'm actually a little bit surprised about the play rate here. I thought Preordain was going to tempt people back into playing this formerly uber popular deck at the NRG series. I thought maybe like, you know, 20 people would bring it, like 8% of the meta, and it had a pretty bad performance. Like the top deck was 75th place, and Preordain was in almost all these lists. Either you know, it's either running besides consider or sometimes replacing consider. That certainly didn't seem to help too much for Merktide, but I'm sure we will talk more about uh, Preordain in Merktide and Merktide style decks a little bit later. But Michael Major said we were giving something bad to the Merktide players. Well, they got their 40% win rate back, apparently. That's lower than before, though. That's that's Yeah, that's quite low, even for Merktide. Like, you know, you, you might expect it like 45 to 49 Maybe it'll spike a little bit over 50, but 40.6 is quite bad. Um, I mean, it was a fairly small sample size at 10 players, but, you know. Also with 10 players living end, they had a 54.3% win rate. I mean, nothing much to say here. The deck is doing what it's doing, keeps doing it pretty well. It's got, you know, the Oliphant and the green Oliphant thing, whatever it's called. Endurance. No, it's Endurance, my friend. Um, oh. Yeah, but yeah, Living End. Yawgmoth, nine copies, 3.5% of the meta, exactly 50% win rate. 
players at the NRG have largely decided this is not a one-ring deck. Uh, lots more classic lists, if we can call four Oakish Bowmasters classic at this point. I guess the Neo classic, the French vanilla, the vanilla with bean specs, as opposed to just plain old vanilla. I actually really have been surprised at how good Bowmaster is in Yawgmoth. I initially, yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah, I, I initially sort of saw it as just, you know, Bowmaster's a good card, whatever, right? Uh, but the fact that it's two bodies helps a lot, of course, for Yawgmoth, it helps for Cord. Uh, I had my teeth kicked in in some testing playing against Yawgmoth. My opponent had a, a Bowmaster and a Yawgmoth in play, and I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm going to activate my ring and I'll take some damage, it'll be fine. And then my opponent sacked the orc in response to each trigger so that every card that i drew they also drew a card while pinging me while killing my board and my head just about exploded on the spot that's 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 a sweet line that's yeah i i have not played yog with bone masters yet um it's definitely like a, a it's it's always one of those decks i want to have more reps with but like i just spend my reps doing like testing for episodes instead so uh one of these days Hammer with seven copies, 2.8% of the meta, a 47.6% win rate. There were also four Azorius lists with a similar win rate of 48%. Not particularly amazing performance here. I think well within the range of normal, you know, expected kind of range at a big paper tournament. Uh, I think that I'm a little bit surprised that we didn't see more people on Hammer after its strong performance at the PT. Also, the NRG series has formerly had a pretty strong representation of Hammer players. I think you're talking about it not or it doing well at the PT, and I think that's true. But again, you have to remember that's a pretty insular meta where you're seeing... I mean, part oh, yeah. of the reason Tron did well is there's not that much Blood Moon. We saw very little copies of Force of Vigor. So when you're back out in the wild, you know, at events like an energy tournament, I think people are still conditioned into, oh yeah, I just put those force of in my sideboard because I should. And yeah. when you think about that Stanislav paired, style. Exactly. <laughs> sure. Uh, then, well, uh, well, I was saying last week, like, you cannot cut first of vigor. And I, I see that Rhinos keeps trying to do that. And like, when I was trying to do that online, like I kept getting punished. My results are just better when I have access to that. Yeah, I, I, I believe it. But, you know, even more so than that, New cards are also not good for him, right? Like Bowmaster killing your thing randomly, jump blocking your dude with a hammer, you know, the ring blanking your whole turn. You know, I think we've seen a lot of things that leads Hammer to be worse than it was. Now, I, I don't mean to say the deck is unplayable. Hammer just does powerful things. But it doesn't surprise me to see it's, yeah, you know, it was a little bit lacking here. And still a lot of Tron here. It's kind of the gear creator definitely is a speed bump for hammer at times unless you you know you have the instant equip from Sigarda's eight or something like that. Alright, Demir Control up next. 2.8% as well. Seven people. 58.1% win rate for Demir Control. Really strong performance. If you know I had to guess, it's like you know the the good control players leaned on this deck and performed well. Um, I, I, I saw a match. So here's an example of what Demir Control is doing these days, right? It's like a different tournament stream this weekend. I think it was like a 20k in Tacoma. They resolved the Shieldred and drew six cards off their one ring. That seems okay. Like that's a very good way to stabilize the game is you, you know you draw like crazy, you resolve a Shieldred, you draw some more cards, you untap it with your uh, Minamo at Water's Edge. Seems okay. Is that what's become the stock version of Demir? Because I, I've seen so many 
different builds of blue-black control things. I've seen some even <laughs> just dropping the ring. Some of them, you know, are, are, are much less creature-centric, where they're not running cards like Murktide or Subtly and others more so. You know, our team, uh, that was actually the deck they mostly landed on for the PT. They were splashing white for, like, Leyline Binding into Fairy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, personally, I've not really been impressed with this deck. I think it does all the yeah. new shiny things, but beyond that, I don't really get it. Yeah, I think your sentiment is shared, and I think based on the Pro Tour stats, you could you know have a good reason to think those things too. But I think you know sometimes when people grasp onto a control deck, they're you know they're going to keep playing it. I'm sure you've never experienced that, Gabe. The <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah, it's like you know Bowmasters and Shieldreds and you know some kind of blue interaction and you know and the the stuff that draws you cards and Lorgan revealed and things like that. And I think you know ultimately it's like control the game, you know, get a one ring, hopefully get a shielded sort of just take over the end game with all of your pieces of interaction that you need. Or, you know, they were playing against living end and they were just sort of like digging for like a, a, um, a wrath, like just, uh, the damnation. And then they were able at that point just to sort of stabilize behind like a shielded and just, you know, just win out of kind of out of nowhere. When I played the popper or the coffers deck a few weeks ago, Shieldred plus the one ring felt like an unlosable <laughs> position. Like yeah. those two cards are just insane together. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I can almost believe that the future of Demir is really about pairing them as like your way to both stabilize while bearing your opponent in card advantage while also like presenting like a, a win con that could just sit there and do nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's a good win con, the kind that you don't have to do anything with. And uh, Demir Control is also another deck with most players slotting in full play sets of preordain. So we do have another data point on deck performance besides just Murktide. And another preordained data point is Grixis Death Shadow with six people, 2.4% of the meta, a 54.3% win rate. So the temptation of playing preordain in like these Turbo Xerox style decks just proved too great. For some people, um, including Yeoman 5, uh, they went 5-4 with a list with two Dreadhorde Arcanist as well. These uh, Grixis Death Shadow decks, ultimately to me, when I was digging through them, just look like Grixis Murktide decks. You know, they have good hand disruption, good board disruption, card draw, card filtering. Absolutely. I, I do think the fact that they're playing Dreadhorde Arcanist is something that that whole community of GDS people needs to investigate. I am not convinced that that card is good in modern now, but if there is a deck for it, I absolutely do think that it is GDS because with Preordain joining the fray, you now have a great cantrip to get back. And of course, you're already doing the thing of getting back Thoughtseize and removal. So it feels like if there were a deck for it, it is this deck. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see more experimentation. The win rate was pretty good. I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see like the snowball keep rolling because you know GDS has been a deck that's bounced around for a long time and people are going to go back to it. I will be surprised if Dreadhorde Arcanist sticks around in modern. Yeah, probably. Like, if, if if burn is bad, like I, I think like Dreadhorde Arcanist suffers from the thing of like it doesn't do anything when it comes down. It's really easy to kill. It's like kind of a liability to attack with it to get the value off of it in a lot of um, matchups. So I've been hearing people like talk about Arcanist for preordain 
like backup, I guess, but I, I'm, I am skeptical right now. I, I don't disagree. I, I definitely wasn't in every Grixis list, but I know that, you know, Yeoman five is someone who's frequently kind of in the, in the experimental and uh, bleeding edge of modern. So we'll see how that uh, did or did not work. Okay. So that's all our stuff, like above 2%. And I think in many ways, I just saw this as sort of not mirroring mirroring the Pro Tour meta, um, but really kind of like the funhouse mirror, where it's like, hey, you know, th- we, we saw what happened. We saw what did well. We saw what did not so well. So we saw stuff like Four Color Omnath falling from its representation. We saw stuff like Mono Green Tron holding on, Rhinos staying well represented, Scam still being high. You know, Titan Truthers got to respond to like, you know, Dom's performance. Yeah. So you mentioned Tron holding on. Like, I feel like you meant in terms of popularity. Yes, this seems like the first. Yeah. I think this was the first tournament that kind of tested whether Tron truly has legs, and this is just like maybe our first data point to kind of confirm what Gabe is saying, which is like it has to be the perfect environment for Tron to compete, and your you know monthly energy probably isn't going to be that. What I actually think the more important point Gabe made is that really good people are playing Tron. And like I was talking about last week is that Tron is not as brained as it used to be. You have a lot more decision points because, you know, your mana is under attack. You have more stuff to do at four mana, at three mana. You have to kind of figure out what is the ideal way for me to sequence things and how to use my mana. And you have a lot more opportunities to make mistakes besides just kind of like your keep mole decisions, which was a lot of what Tron sort of used to be in terms of the decision-making. And so I think it's easier to be worse at Tron now than it used to be. I guess another thing that I was, I'm not surprised by, but like you, you saw Yogmoth drop quite a bit here. I think it had a pretty mad performance at the PT. Like I said, I was a little bit surprised not to see Hammer just be represented a little bit more because I thought people might want to like bring it back to try it because it did fairly well. You know, whether or not it did well on its own merits, um, I, th- I thought that maybe people would bring it back some more but overall i i think this is kind of what i would have expected um besides you know like the hammer thing like i said but overall i think this is kind of like this is what i would expect for like another tournament next weekend more or less i don't think people would stop playing tron because of the performance of the nrg Uh, i i'm interested to see what happened at the 20k in tacoma um, and see what you know what did well there. But we, we do have a few interesting paper tournaments to check out this weekend and see what happened uh, in the shadow of the Pro Tour. Let's run through this top eight pretty quickly because I know we have a lot of decks to talk about uh, in the dive down section. So we have Ryan Hayes on Four Color Omnath. Interesting build here compared to some of the other Four Color lists. Ryan found room for, for Preordain in the list, ran no Fable of the Mirror Breaker, like seems extremely common when I was digging through all those lists. And the main deck spell-based interaction was a single bolt and three prismatic ending. So kind of focusing more heavily kind of on just sort of the interactive elementals, getting value off the preordains, the Omnath, the One Ring, things like that. Any thoughts here, Spider-Space? You're just like, whatever. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't really understand a lot of these decisions. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like... Obviously, they did well, and congratulations. So I, I feel like anything I would say, I don't want to detract from it, and the fact that they did well, but I wouldn't build it that way doesn't necessarily mean anything. I, I don't know. Have you dabbled with four-color oh, money yeah. piles? Yeah. Um, this was, of course, one of the perceived 
better decks. I, I think, frankly, probably the perceived best deck going into, well, Scam's probably the perceived best deck, but certainly Four Color was one of the good choices going into the PT. The fact that people thought it was advantaged against Scam was a big deal. So certainly something that I looked at, that a lot of people looked at, um, you know, it, Fable in particular seemed to be a big choice that a lot of people were going towards that direction. So this list is not doing that, which is a little weird, as you already mentioned. Um, the preordained strike me as a weird fit here, but you know this is also the best performing four color list. Um, you Don't know, be I, roddy, Gabe. Don't be results oriented thinking. <laughs> well, we can critique even a, even a well performing list. Yeah, I, I I guess my biggest critique involving the preordain is something I'm wanting to wait on until we get to that that next section. Sure. Let's. Yeah, we'll wait. Um, second place, Kyle Gonzalez on Titan. This looks like Titan to me. There's some interesting sideboard inclusions, like three Dismember, a Swan Song, a few Generous Ent. I know are becoming a thing in these Titan sideboards. I also will note that Dom, uh, seventh place or eighth place at the Pro Tour, uh, went 21st with Titan in this tournament. Kyle also ended up taking it all down. I don't have data from the top eight, like... Um, matchups besides just that Kyle won, unfortunately. So apologies for that. Third place, Austin Renault on Reanimator. This is like that newer Gurio's Vengeance version that did well at the Pro Tour, where it's like a combination of like Grief, Solitude, Ephemerate, or Gurio's Gristlebrand, or Atraxa, and it just seems like it's doing the thing reliably. Now, is this anything that you've messed with, Gabe, since the Pro Tour? Oh, not not really since then. I, I went into it actually wanting to play a Reanimator Ooh. deck. Uh, that I knew I shouldn't, and then I didn't, which I'm proud of myself for. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hold strong. Yeah, but this list does make some sense. I I was kind of going more all in with, you know, Asmo Saga things. Um, This, to me, kind of just feels like bad scam, where you're trying to do the turn one thing, but then it's not even necessarily that much better against Graveyard Hate. I mean, obviously, Ephemerate is different than the scam effect, right? Where you're... Mm -hmm your grief isn't going to the graveyard, but the fact that you then have to follow up the grief with, okay, I need to loot my fatty into the yard. And then I also have to bring it back. It just makes it such a hard argument in my mind to play this over scam when you have the efficiency of, yeah, I'll go ahead and turn one grief scam you. And then here's a ragavan. And that, that just wins the game. You don't need to do all these extra hoops. So I love these archetypes. I would love to play this, but it, it, uh, if I'm trying to be the most competitive I can be, it's a hard sell. Yeah, it's it's a it's a league deck, not a tournament deck for you. Shane, did you do you know was Austin the only reanimator player at this tournament? Um, I don't have the list in front of me, but I think it's probably close. Just curious. Uh, fourth place. Speaking of scam, we've got Ryan Tersh on Recto Scam stock list. No main deck Blood Moons, three in the side, four Leyline of the Void, probably hindering the mirror against graveyard strategies, living end, things like that. Um, there you go. Fifth place, Michael Sparts on Samwise Combo. Does the thing. Uh, I love the worship in the sideboard. I haven't seen that in a hot minute. Um, there's a lot of spicy one of creatures to tutor for with all of the tutor cards as well. Sixth place, Dustin Nogriera on Team of Rhinos. This has three subtlety, one Murktide, one Brazenbauer main, along with two Flame of Anor and a Dismember main, kind of rounding out the flex spots here. Yeah, well, I, I was just wanting to ask Stan, since I know you are the Rhinos guy, how do you feel about their choice of flex slots? I, I know other people have tried all sorts of 
crazy things. I, you know, I, I've even seen main deck commandeer. I got main deck commandeered at, at the pro tour. <laughs> main deck. Wow. Um, I mean, chain rhinos a little bit, but I, I think I rhino more. Wow. I um, know it was a competition. It's always a competition in, in the dive down. Um, the flex slots. So I always agree with keeping at least one uh, bar or main. Like, like get, I know you can never cut that, even post board. Yeah, or for um, two mana rather. I I have put, I've tried dismember. Like I don't believe in it. I think you do it because of scam. Like because killing a a fury can be really hard. I mean, killing a grief with a one one counter can be hard too. But the flames of Anor help with that a lot. I do really like flames of Anor. Um, generally speaking, and I I think it could be like a really great tool as like that flex piece moving forward. Um, I would not play questing main. Yeah, this has no questing main. This had one on the side. It had two commandeer in the side, two more flame of a in the side. This has the two mutavault for the wizard technology. So yeah, I mean, in terms of, I think three subtlety, a Merktide, a Brazenbauer is really strong for like the creature package. I'd be scared not to have Fury right now, potentially. I feel like there are, you're going to run up against some small creature decks. It's going to do work against, you know, all those really well. Um, I, I'd have to test Flame of Anor to have more opinion. And I definitely agree with you, Stan, where it's like, am I really going to lean on Dismember? As like my removal when I could like let's say you know you're going into a paper tournament you know you're going to see like eight percent burn and you need to take care of like uh, a, a goblin guide and a, a monastery Swiss spear and what you're going to dismember one of them and like not kill the other one we could just have like dropped a fury or something like that yeah, yeah that's that's a really good point Shane like I think I prefer fury to dismember specifically and i think that's kind of the replacement that's happening um i mean, I mean it's a very different I, card I, like, but like you're picking it for a particular meta game that you expect right sure i just i think that fury is sometimes like a better finisher than murktide is obviously you're trying to win with rhinos but that doesn't always work like people are prepared for the rhinos and you play the murktide and to some extent the subtleties to like get around that plan mutable too for that matter to be honest like I've done four plus damage to the Mutavolts and Rhinos and loved every minute of it. I think I would still rather have Fury because it does the two things, right? Like <clears throat> it could remove a creature or it could just win on I, its I own. I guess I'm still a Rhinos boomer, if you will, where Rhinos used to just have four Fury, all the lists, four Fury yeah, all the time. Whenever I go to build Rhinos, I'm starting with four Fury in the deck. Like I'm, I'm not a believer in Murktide, for instance, in Rhinos. I know Lorraine Revealed yeah. has helped that a bit. But that always surprises me so much. And, you know, Fury in particular is very good against Scam. So if Dismember is your anti-Scam card and Fury already does that, but also is a threat in and of itself, it it becomes sort of, I I just don't get why you would do that. And I've found that I think Rhinos is the deck that, you know, you typically run like 24 lands. You have the land cyclers now, like you routinely get to five mana just to hard cast your furies. And then they can take over the end game with like just their powerful attacking ability. Yeah. I mean, part of the problem is that you have fewer red cards to pitch to fury because you're playing Lorraine Reveal now. Um, so I think like having those furies becomes a little bit more of a liability because what you never want to do is pitch a violent outburst to evoke a fury. So subtlety is just like you play subtlety to kind of fill in that fury gap and slow down the scam player rather than just removing their creature. 
and let, you know, preventing them from griefing you even the one time. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're going to see some evolution in rhinos over time. I don't think people, the jury is still out on if Mutavault, Flame of Anora is kind of a thing to be doing. If Questing Beast is what you want to be doing, you know, all these type of things. Seventh place, we've got Chris Smith on Yogg. This is Yogg. Eighth place, AJ Grenke on Mono Black Coffers. This deck didn't do quite well at the PT. Um, it did well in the hands of AJ. And it looks like, it always looks like a nightmare when I look at this list. And that's probably because I've been playing Tron recently. And we know that it goes over the top of even regular Tron. I think that this is the type of deck that, you know, it, if it gets the right matchups and is played, piloted well, then there you go. I sort of see this deck as similar to Tron, where oh, yeah. you're doing the big mana thing. But then you also just get to play good cards. Like, I don't have to play these, you know, mo- I don't have to play Chromatic Star. I get to play Orcish Bowmaster. It's a beautiful card. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I think that they're, yeah, the engine is not the same. You don't have to have like the, all of your pieces line up to like get you online as often, right? All right, let's get through this leaderboard. We have four of the six 10K showdown winners are solidified. We've got, you know, by now we've got Steven Dickman, we've got Daniel Weiser, we've got Matthew Hoey, and now we've got Kyle Gonzalez. So there's two more up for grabs in October and November. Uh, And if you recall, six of the championship invites go to the at-large leaderboard finishers. And as of right now, those six at-large finishers are Chris Smith with 77 points. I'll note that it looks like Chris was doing really well at the 5K today based on Energy's tweets. I think that Chris is going to get some more points added here. We've got Ryan Hayes at 64, Will Kowalczyk at 63, Fletcher Johnson at 58, Sarah Shearing at 57, and Sean Gallagher at 49. And uh, that's not counting the people who have won the showdowns and things like that. I was just skipping over them. So there are 12 people, however, between 40 and 46 points just behind this group. And so anything can really happen over the course of the next two tournament weekends to shake this up. I'm sure we're going to see some exciting shifts as we head towards the end of the year tournament. And a lot of people are vying for these at-large finishing spots right now. Gabe, you got to get out here. It's a great tournament series. Let's let's, let's take a drive, Gabe. I don't know anything about NRG. You guys are talking about the leaderboard, and I'm aware that it exists, and I look at their tournaments, (laughs) but I'm like, this means nothing to me. Yeah, I mean, it's just a bit, you know, it's a, the Midwest TO that uh, we're happy's in, uh, at least <laughs> right now, only Dave's backyard. It used to be all of our backyard. So uh, we're just interested in, you know, keep covering it. So, yeah, it's a it's a good tournament series for sure. And there's a lot of strong players. So it's, it's good to, you know, have these stories to follow. So we are going to get out of here. We'll take a quick ad break. And then we'll be right back to talk about Preordain in Modern. So stay with us. Hey everyone, this is Shane, and I'm coming to you with a solo smell event. I am talking to you today about Barrister and Man's Oceana. It comes in a shaving soap, a bar soap, an aftershave, an eau de cologne, all that good stuff. So let me open up this bag I got from Barrister and Man containing the shaving soap sample, which you can get for a very reasonable price. So, you know, here the bag open. So let's go for this. So, yeah, super lovely. It's a really nice aquatic smell. That's kind of what they're going for. Kind of the ultimate aquatic, as Barrister Man calls it. This is super clean. 
it smells like a day at the beach. Salt water, bergamot, sandalwood, you know, a floral jasmine scent. I think it's super light, super versatile, the kind of thing you can wear any day, whether it's a bar soap on the counter of your sink or your shaving soap or your aftershave splash to give you a fragrance that you wear throughout the day or the, the eau de cologne. So that's something that people can just buy and wear even if you're not a shaver. So if you want to check out Oceana, it's the seasonal uh, that just came out just a few weeks ago over at Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N. If you use the coupon code THEDIVEDOWN23, it gets you 15% off your first order at Barrister and Man. Let's Will, owner of Barrister and Man, know that you came through the dive down and keeps our relationship with them going. So we appreciate it. All right, my friends, we're back and we are here in the dive down segment to talk about what's the deal with preordain. So, because you know, preordain's unbanned. Shane, what does this card even do? <laughs> I've been casting it all week and I like I couldn't tell yeah, you the text. You might, you might, you might, okay, like if you had asked me. Shane, what does preordain do? Shane, what does ponder do? Like two weeks ago, I would have not known because I I do have these cards. I have them like in my old peasant cube that I've drafted like twice uh, that I put way more time developing than I've ever done playing. And so preordain, blue, sorcery, scry two, draw a card. Simple card, potentially unsimple implications to how decks work, how the format will be impacted, things like that. You know, it's part of a large family of single blue mana cantrips featuring current and former format staples such as Ponder, Brainstorm, Serum Visions, Consider, Peak, Slide of Hand, Gataxi, Infernal Thought Scour, Peak, I said Peak twice, Quicken, Opt, Visions of Beyond, Disrupt, Peak, Cloak of Feathers, Cerulean Whiffs, Timely Interference, and of course Peak. Stanislav, you messed up my notes. You added more Peaks. It's, it's the most You're important right. one. I just didn't want to overlook it. Thank you it. for reminding me of that uh, Peak's existence. So... Yeah, some of those don't see much competitive play in Modern and Pioneer, and likely many of them aren't even legal in some of those formats. Who knows? Because I don't cast those cards. Last week, Watsi unbanned Preordain in Modern. I feel like the crowd went kind of mild. The crowd went mild, yes. Gabe, what was your initial reaction? Um, I saw this, <laughs> and I kind of went, yeah, you know, that'll do something. I didn't really realize the implications of how much better it is ooh, than the other ooh. cantrips until I started casting it. And so I've, takes are being made. I mean, I, I've cast Preordained before, but it, it's been a minute and certainly not in modern. I, I, I will say this is a fairly difficult card to see and think, oh, yeah, this is going to, you know, it, it, it's not going to break a deck. Preordain yeah. is a consistency tool it yeah. in, inherently as a cantrip, it's somewhat innocuous, right? But I do think this is easily the top of the pile. And like, yes, there's nuance and we can get into instant speed for sorcery speed and all, all of these fun little things, you know, you get to put a car in your graveyard. You, like, yes, but just inherently this is King cantrip. I am loving 
the frame, the framing that you're doing for the rest of what you're going to talk about this episode, Gabe, how uh, that's because that's that's the goal of this part of this app, right? Is we're going to explore what preordained brings to the format, kind of our experiences playing with the card, our thoughts about what this is going to impact and potentially how it's going to do it. So I have like all these paragraphs about why it was banned and unbanned, but you know, the real reason it was banned in the beginning was it was to avoid having decks that consistently win the game on turn three. And then they talked about Ponder and Preordained together and said a large number of these blue-red combo decks kept the field less diverse. One of the things that made them so efficient was the cards that would find their combinations. Ponder and Preordained were the most widely used of these cards. Banning these should make combo decks less efficient. So five of the top eight decks of the first Modern Pro Tour had play sets of Ponder and Preordained, so it seems a little understandable. But fast forward 12 years later, Modern is very different. Like these fragile combo decks are mostly held in check with like efficiently costed hate cards with efficiently costed removal, free pitch spells. I I just want to draw attention to the fact, like, yes, you said fragile, but you said combo decks. Okay, this is very important because I think that's where the card is going. Okay, okay. So, yeah, we can. That's where it was going in the past. And this is. Okay. Whether or not that's the only place where it belongs, <laughs> I think that's when we get to debate today. So, you know, different era modern, we're, we're kind of past, we're not in the turn four shifts passing in the night era quite as much. So Watsi's like, hey, let's get one of these two cantrips off the ban list. We get preordained back in modern. And I think what I want to talk a little bit about, not as much as I have written here because we went a little bit long in the open, um, is how is this different? than the other powerful cantrips. Like, why didn't we get Ponder? And, you know, is Ponder, is Preordain better to consider in certain decks? Just, is it better across the board? And, you know, you've already planted your flag there, Gabe. I'm really interested to hear more about that. But, like, let's just, you know, the difference between Preordain and Ponder is basically the number of cards they're looking at. Like, because Ponder effectively looks at up to four cards. You get to look at three shuffle them away if you want, and then draw a mystery card off the top. Preordain gets you three deep max. You scry to draw a card. So that is just a different number of cards. And so ultimately it's sort of safer, more or less, in modern when you are worried about potentially combo deck stuff. And so, you know, I think you kind of mentioned this game is like, Preordain ultimately seems safe because it's sort of like this middle ground card. Like it's sort of a jacket or Jill of all trades. It sort of smooths out your draws. It doesn't need fetch lands to be its best. It doesn't come back to hurt you. It's just sort of like a solid card that doesn't blow your mind initially. And it's likely not going to make storm tier one menace again or something like that. Sort of like just some glue, but maybe there's more and I'm sure there's more. And I'm interested to hear what y'all have to say about your experiences playing preordain but gabe you you kind of like i said you planted your flag here well how does preordain compare to what we already have in modern like how is it different slash better than like a consider or a sleight of hand or a thought scour or a serum visions yeah so i think that each of these are going to have a place where you would rather have one or the other I, I think the big exception here would be Serum Visions, which I had have a very hard time believing anyone would run now instead of Preordain. The exception to this would be if you're pl- playing, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's the new Lord of the Rings card that draws, and if you scry, you can draw, you can just 
get another card by exiling it from your graveyard. So if, okay. you, if you had this in conjunction with both Preordain, then you maybe, oh, I also now want to play Serum Vision. So this would be a deck like Jeskai Ascendancy. And forgive me, I'm going to be saying a lot of just fringe combo decks today as we go through these things, because frankly, that's where Perfection. these cards are going to be talked about the most. Uh, like, yes, Thought Scour kind of fits some of that mold as well. I I don't know. I don't even think Thought Scour would be a card I would touch in Modern anymore. It's just the generic, oh, I milled something. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so really it's leaving Sleight of Hand, which I, I, I don't even know the last time I saw a Sleight of Hand played. I, I know Merktide sometimes would do this as it's a sorcery. I think it's also kind of replacing that in a big way where you're just looking at more you, you get to do more with it you know like storm for instance was fetchless storm so guess what those scries matter yeah yeah because sleight, sleight of hand i had to look this up right it's just a blue sorcery and you look at the top two cards of your library you put one of them in your hand the other on the bottom of your library note this is not a draw effect so in a bowmaster's world there's maybe an argument there but it's only looking at two cards not three yeah, exactly. And as I think two verse three is the biggest reason why you're wanting preordain over really any of these other cards. But I do think that there's the biggest argument still towards playing either consider or opt. I think there's, opt, yeah. I mean, there, there's some nuance between those cards. They're really mostly doing the same thing. It generally is the case that you'd prefer to have the card in your graveyard than the bottom of your library. But there are decks where that matters. So for instance, if I was playing a Stoneforge Mystic deck that had one of these in it, then, hey, I don't want to draw my Cauldra, but I also don't want my Cauldra in my graveyard, right? So at, at that point, Consider just becomes definitely worse than Opt. Um, but I do think Consider tends to see more play. Uh, if I'm a deck that's playing at instant speed and I care about my graveyard in particular, then I think there's still a strong argument to still play yeah. Consider. Because, hey, if I want to hold up Lightning Bolt, Consider, and Spell Pierce on turn one, Preordain's just not going to do that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I've... But, but maybe maybe you don't need to cast Preordain on turn I mean, one. I, I, that's like, what I've heard, ever. right? Like, if you're, if you're doing it on turn one, you're maybe doing it wrong, but I, I, don't, I don't know the play patterns of cards like this. Sure, I, I think that's a valid point, but if you're turn three and you're wanting to hold up Archmage's Charm or Counterspell and Consider you still have the same thing. I mean, what what turn are we talking about where the one mana in your instant speed deck doesn't matter? Is it is it turn seven? Does, <laughs> does this card say you have to get to turn seven to cast it? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, but then of course you can, you can argue the other side, right? Where it's like in Merktide, it's really hard to get a sorcery in your graveyard, to get Delirium, because like you really have to cast like one of your expressive iterations, or maybe you get a creature in the graveyard early when the, someone casts removal against you. So like that's why we've seen stuff like Serum Visions and Sleight of Hand randomly appearing in Merktide lists in the past, right? Because like getting Delirium is really good, but having so few sorceries is really tough. And so I think Preordain is a boon to getting their much earlier or like maybe a turn earlier at least like when you're also gaining that card selection uh, i mean again i am not a murktide player this is just stuff that i'm i've read and thought about too I, I think you're completely correct to say that the sorcery does matter i, I think that this plays really well with drc uh where you're going to get the surveil and then you're going to get described to you and then you draw that's that's a lot of cards you're looking at but i will also add that 
we've seen Lorien revealed be added to a lot of these blue decks. And this is another sorcery that you're putting in the graveyard that you're using to find lands that draws cards. I mean, obviously they're they're very different in the mid game, um, but this is just another card that is encouraging people to cut lands from their decks. So I think if you're looking at a deck like Murktide and talking about how do I want to construct this today, I think the answer is going to be they're playing less lands. I, I just I would not be surprised if Murktide's playing 17 lands in general now. Right on. Anything else that you think we haven't talked about just in terms of like, you know, general thoughts about how Preordain is is compared to what you know we're, we've been running in Modern? Generally, it's the best cantrip I've ever cast in this format. Generally right, so speaking. So the question is answered. Preordain's the best cantrip in Modern. I guess a question that... I, is, is that is that really, after a week of playing with this card, like, is that up for debate? Certainly. And... and so, so Gabe, like, I, I felt like there were a couple of times where you were sort of hedging your bed, where you're saying like different context you might prefer consider, and I feel like that con- concept is exactly like in a Merktide situation where you're trying to put cards in the yard, but pound for pound, preordain is a stronger card. Like, if if, if we're talking about like how well how how much value do you get off of your one mana draw spell like cantrip or consider does not come close. No, if if you're looking at just sheer you know sheer power card individually, no context, preordain is the best one. Period. There, I, I really don't think we have a discussion here. You're looking at three cards. Yeah, three cards is so many. Th- like. Three is a lot more than two. I know it seems close, <laughs> but in, in Magic, it is a lot more. 50% more. And yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, I, I agree with you. And, and I, I'm trying to, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm walking the, the, the fence here, Stan, where I'm, you know, oh, like this is the best one. But, you know, you can't fault me if, if there's a reason that you should be playing Consider. What, what I really want to say is that context does, of course, matter. But base level this is the best cantrip in modern. Yeah. I, I also think, like, to your point, holding up an instant speed cantrip, consider, or opt, for, or, or thought scour, I guess, when you also have a counterspell in your hand, like, I get that. I feel like in almost every other situation, you, you, the general magic player out there on the internet, like, you, you should be playing main phase considers more often, too. <laughs> like, I, th- I think that's something that people... Or, more specifically, that's something Fancy I have to play learn. syndrome. We're just like, oh, it's instant. My opponent's end step. Yeah, exactly. And and it was it was in fact Pygonti who like kind of introduced me to this concept specifically. Like, why hold it up instant speed if you can still hold up other interaction? And this might actually draw you into action. And like when we're looking at that particular play pattern, like once again, looking at three is 50% better than whatever Consider can offer you. When you start your turn, if you're playing a deck with cantrips, there's often going to be a thought in your head to say, well, I should start here, right? And obviously, you're going to have situations where, you know, oh, I only have one mana and I'd rather play Ragavan, right? Like, of course, there's always something else that you could do. But generally speaking, if you're playing a deck with cantrips, you should always look at the cantrip and go, Oh yeah, I I I might want to start with that because it's going to give me more information to inform my decision for the rest of this turn, for what I want to do for your turn, or for what I want to do with my next turn. So yeah, if you're casting those considers at sorcery speed a good chunk of the time anyway, it it just further pushes it in that preordained direction. All right. My follow-up question to you, Mages of Blue, is are cantrips even good in modern anyway? And what makes them good? Well, 
That I, I don't think that that's an easy or obvious question. Consistency matters, right? So if you're looking for a particular thing, then uh, combo. If you're looking for a certain thing, then obviously the cantrip does a lot in that direction. But you know, when I've been playing decks like Creativity, I didn't want to put those in my deck because I just wanted to do something to impact the board every single turn. Now, Creativity is a pretty clunky deck, right? You, you're playing four spell pierces because you just have a pile of threes and four drops and your colors are in a million directions and you have to fetch tap lands. Um, so yeah, maybe you could put a cantrip in there, but if you're putting preordain in creativity, I would wager a bet that you're probably cutting colors to do it, right? So then it becomes, oh, well, I'm now not playing Renin Six. Is playing Preordain better than Renin Six? And I don't know. I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a difficult question to answer. And also, of course, the elephant in the room, or in this case, the orc in the room, is Bowmaster, which is now just going to randomly be triggering off all of these cards, which also makes them a little bit worse. But if cantrips are to be good in modern at all, this is your one. Yeah. I also think like a cantrip can be good, even if a deck full of cantrips is not. Like you don't have to play it as a storm to kind of like prove that Ponder is a, or Preordain is a good card. And I don't think you need to build around Preordain. Like I think you can just have a better card selection tool in the decks that can run it and would probably benefit from having like specific interaction or specific combo pieces or you know other useful cards and and that'd be good for the deck like almost apropos of what other cantrips are in a given environment i would also ask like a sub question is expressive iteration a cantrip Ooh, so i i I feel specifically targeted by this question (laughs) because okay okay i'm I'm gonna go down a whole jeskai breach side tangent so you'll you'll have to forgive me i love this deck um (laughs) so a lot of the ways that people were building jeskai grinding breach uh prior to preordain coming to modern they were cutting expressive iteration and playing the wondering obviously wondering is a busted card very good great whatever that's I think we can all agree that it's a great magic card. Good fit in this deck. I, however, disagreed that you were supposed to be cutting expressive iteration because it was just much less clunky and you could play it much earlier. And the way that I was explaining it to people, the logic I was using is I was saying, it's like a cantrip. (laughs) Now, obviously, it's a little closer to like impulse or something, right? Where you're looking at at more cards that way. Now, I, I don't know. Are you calling impulse a cantrip? It wasn't on my list. So no. <laughs> Got him. All right. Does, we're, we're does it cost, I mean, one blue mana is a cantrip to me because in Dungeons and Dragons, cantrips are like the free crappy spells. Like, and, <laughs> and, and anything that costs two mana is no longer free enough for me. Okay. So then at that point, it is not a cantrip, but... It is doing some of that selection, but it's also getting you value. So it's doing a different thing. I will say that EI has really fallen off in modern. And I think that EI is actually going to be good in a lot of similar places that Preordain is going to be good. Um, Yes, Preordain is easier to fit in. Yes, it's only one color. But both cards reward you for having a lot of cheap cards in your deck. Uh, It's a lot easier to fit cards that don't 
impact the board into your curve if you have a lot of cheap things or you make a lot of mana. Um, so anyway, the Jeskai Breach thing is I was still playing more expressive iterations and I actually thought it was more correct to play, for instance, four expressive iteration and maybe three ring if that was where you had to make a cut. Um, I'll also add that people are now simply cutting expressive iteration from this deck in favor of preordain because it's very awkward to fit in. It's more mana. You have Urza Saga. Yeah, and it, I feel like in a deck with the wrong one ring, like in that very specific example, like EI and the one ring, kind of a bad pair. EI and preordain, much smoother, less, you, you find yourself in less awkward situations where you have to make difficult expressive iteration decisions that may be suboptimal. All right, y'all. I feel like we're sort of like dancing around preordain's role in specific decks that you all have had some experience with. And so I'm just going to put people on the spot. We can talk about your experiences playing this newly unbanned card and you know, your, your testing. I think we can talk about what it's feeling good in, what it's feeling uh, meh in, and go from there. Does that make sense? Can, can I actually totally derail you? And, no, I, this, this is what you're here for. What you just yeah, said. derail me. <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to make one last point about Jeskai Breach, and then we can, do it. we can go further down that, that rabbit hole. I was just going to say, I'm actually now just cutting Urza Saga from that deck uh, because I think the consistency that you are gaining through Preordain means you don't need this backup plan. And I, I think that that's going to be the case with a lot of these decks. And this is segueing me perfectly into why I derailed you, Shane, which is at the macro level, what decks are actually benefiting from this and where are you wanting to play it? And I yeah. stand actually through a little bit of doubt in my mind here with one of your, your uh, points earlier, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. So what I was going to say is that control in modern's really taken a lot of different shapes and until recently, and really thinking about the blue, black Lord of the Rings pile has tended to involve ley line binding. Right, So Leyline Binding inherently means you are getting a Triome because you need to reduce the cost of this card. Um, so this could be Blue-White Control or it could be Four-Color. Blue-White Control still would have to play Triomes even if you are Blue-White. We've seen weird like middle ground things like Ren... They say Ren and Six? Ren, Blue and White? I, I don't know. There was like a Ren and Six with uh, America going on there. Um, that people were running, I think it was actually an NRG guy. But anyway, both decks are wanting to fetch Trium on one. On one is the, the turn that you need to do this more often than not. Like, yes, sometimes your opponent plays a Ragavan, you need to kill it in however, whichever way you're going to kill it. But if you are given the option, you're going to fetch a Trium on one. So, okay, now I'm not playing the Preordain on one if I have Leyline Binding, if I'm trying to plan around Leyline Binding. Now it's turn two. Okay, I need to just slam my Ren and Six. I need to hold up Counterspell. So I'm not playing it on that turn, right? So... We covered some of the instant speed angle we talked about earlier of like, ooh, maybe if I'm old, like classic blue-white control, like I'm thinking Waffo top of blue-white control, then you're really much more instant speed. So, okay, how are you fitting into your curve? Is it turn three? Are you holding counterspell up? And additionally, since control decks are inherently reactive, in the blind, you don't know what you're looking for. So we, we covered that earlier where you were saying like, oh, well, you don't have to play it on turn one. Well, you're taking away part of what makes the card good. Of I don't have a fallback to look for beyond, oh, I needed my second land. Okay. So it, I, in my mind, has a lot, it's a lot worse, not a lot worse, but it is worse in these type of decks. Um, 
And then we, we also kind of talked about mid-range and decks like Merktide where, like, yeah, it, your, your CMC is lower. You get more out of this. It's turning on your DRC. So mm-hmm. I think it's a better fit there. But you still don't have that generic, oh, here's a good card, right? So, like, if I look at the top of my deck with this preordain, it's turn one. I don't know what I'm playing against. And I have EI and Counterspell there. You know, the, the, content, the, the rest of my hand informs this decision massively. But it's really hard to say, oh, which one of these did I want, right? Like, if I was playing against a combo deck, I really want that counterspell. If I was playing against something like Scam, I really want that EI. And I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to get. But I was still supposed to cast it on turn one. <laughs> so th- that, 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 that's kind of what I'm driving at and why I like it most in these combo decks. Because you always just have a fallback on, if I assemble A plus B, I win the game. Right. So, yes, I can find my land. Yes, I can find the conditionally good card. Uh, I can find the matchup good card. But I can also just say, oh, all right, whatever. I don't care what you're doing because I'm just going to combo and win. Yeah, I I feel a lot of what you're saying in terms of the I'm casting preordain when I have a spot on my curve to look for a useful card was like it felt very fine to me and and I'll talk more about the deck that I played with it later, but it definitely was like, not the thing that was, it was never winning me the game besides like one very specific situation where like I needed to dig for burn. Right. But like, besides that, I think like what you're getting at, it sounds like to me is that you're talking like, this is a situational, it's, it's a deck, it's a deck situational card to you right now. It sounds like what you're saying where it's like, and I think Stan might actually disagree because I think that he's feeling like it's it's great glue for a lot of the decks that he played this week. But I think um, that's what I'm trying to, I hope we get at the most in this episode is like, you know, where does it feel right and where does it feel best? So I don't know if I necessarily disagree, Shane, but like, Gabe, what, what I'm basically hearing you say is that because this is a card selection tool, putting it in a deck that is looking for very proactive pieces you, you're calling them combo, but like these are cards that do a specific thing toward an endgame is better than slotting into a reactive deck that's looking for just like situationally good cards, right? On the one hand, like you're absolutely right that I think like on principle, being proactive is, is going to like lead you toward a winning line more more quickly. That doesn't mean that the reactive decks should not play preordain maybe and like if we look at the history of Jeskai or blue white control across like the last six like pre-horizon modern like they were always playing serum missions because i think you needed like some amount of action to just like get you to stuff um and though you know you you keep making this point about combo and i agree that like it's amazing in the combo decks but i just think it's equally amazing in anything that's proactive if you need to draw towards something that's going to like win the game I have faster. A, my, I will say the, the deck that I will talk about, it did not feel like that. And it's the most proactive deck I can imagine trying to play preordain. Well, uh, what, what uh, was is that? It prowess. Let's talk about it. So I played, uh, is it prowess build? It is, is it prowess with preordain? It has the usual prowess creatures like Swifty, Soulscar, DRC, Three Sprite Dragon, you know, all the spells, blah, blah, blah. It looks like it basically shaved off of things like uh, some Metamorphose and or Light Up the Stage. 
So that's kind of how it made room for the four preordains. And this sideboard actually went into Jeskai with like two path, three prismatic, some more blue interaction, like your counter magic, etc., etc. right? So what preordain was cool because it dug me to creatures or spells as needed, get past that unnecessary land draw into more action hypothetically. But the problem with preordain is that it's not interacting with your opponent's board, their life total or protecting your creatures with instant speed prowess triggers. And Shane, you may say, yes, Manamorphose is not doing that either, but Manamorphose replaces itself with its own mana and its instant speed. No, it's sorcery speed, right? Yeah. So, oh, it's, yeah, so it's it's instant, right? So in a pinch, you could even maybe get a prowess trigger out of it against like a Bowmasters or something, right? Like, you know, these, this, that's, that's, you know, rogue but it's possible so when i'm not doing any of those things i said like this doesn't feel on game plan in some ways right so like it's a good card to keep you ahead like selection matters right it, but it doesn't like i said it's not doing the metamorphos thing of replacing the mana while it's drawing the card so like this deck runs mana light so you kind of need that mana sometimes and so it doesn't feel like the upside of Mana Morphos, but that's what you're paying for with Selection, you know? And and like when you peel that bolt or you peel that Lava Dart off of your uh, Preordain, like it feels good. But like what this doesn't do is catch you up at all, right? Like there's this, the it's, and that's not what, like Preordain doesn't assist in that as all. Like the, the deck never plays catch up well. And preordain is not making this deck play catch up any more well. So it's like keeping you ahead in certain ways, and that can feel good. But it's also like a do-nothing card when you're behind. Like let's let's say you have no creatures. You're digging for another one. At that point, mm-hmm. if you if your opponent has removed your creatures from the board and has started stabilizing against you, even if you draw a soul scar mage, you're not winning with that soul scar mage. Do you know what I mean? Like it just sort of like felt like prowess to me. But the, and, you know, there's so much interaction in the format. Relying on small creatures is tough these days. DRC is really bad against Bowmasters these days because she's one toughness without Delirium. Like, you know, unless you're casting like a mutagenic growth on her in response to something, and that feels really bad. So it's like, this is an example of Preordain that felt like it ostensibly feels right, but like in practice really never felt right unless I was against a control opponent and needed to dig for a bolt. And that's what I did like once. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Is this like, does this sound like a experience where like, well, maybe with more reps, it would feel right. Or like, you know, you just want that metamorphose sometimes. No, I mean, I think what you're describing is, is kind of confirming my thesis or my hypothesis, which is like your preordains are not drawing toward adequately proactive cards. Like, your one mana prowess creatures aren't good enough yeah, anymore. I mean, so I mean, is what I think. I the think real probably just needs more burn in the deck. To be honest with you, but yeah, I so I, I think we're kind of getting into the weeds of like, okay, I was saying combo, you're saying proactive, and I, I, I want to make a, a, a note here that it's not that I think that this card is unplayable in any of these decks. Like we've covered how good this card is at a base level. And I think that base level covers enough ground where it's a reasonable consideration for a lot of decks if you're in the color blue. But the idea of, oh, I'm I'm digging towards something proactive versus I want a specific card kind of changes there, right? So if I was four color and I was like, man, my best card is the ring. 
okay, I'm going to try to draw the ring, right? Like that, that is a lot better than uh, Shane's case or is like, oh yeah, I just want to find a soul scar mage, right? Because you're digging towards something that is just much more impactful. Now that's interesting because we just talked about how the mana difference matters. We're saying, oh, if you play more cheap cards, it's better. And that's because how it fits into your curve. But if your cards that you're playing that you're digging towards with it aren't impacting the game at that point, then it's not going to change that. Yeah. And if you can't fit into your curve earlier, then likewise, what is it doing for you, right? So if you were playing Prowess, presumably you'd much more likely prefer to have a turn one threat than a turn one preordained to <laughs> yeah. find a threat. Yeah. Does that mean that you should mulligan that hand though? I don't know. That's that's a hard, very hard question. But it, it, should it still be in the deck? That That's a real question for you, Shane. Yeah, I mean, this is not a deck that I'm like super fond of um, anymore. And I've always had like a love-hate relationship with Prowess just because of its reliance on keeping a board in any way, shape, or form. But yeah, I just wanted to test it in something. You know, someone 5-0'd with it and we were like, well, let's let's see what let's see what this feels like. So Gabe, what I want to get more though is like, you know, I feel like you are you've talked a lot about your thoughts about preordain and kind of ideas you have for where it would be stronger than others. Like, what have your experiences been like so far? Like, where have you been trying it, if anywhere? I, I may not know if you're taking a pro tour break uh, or if you're still grinding. Oh, I'm I'm playing it in a ton of garbage. Okay, uh, is is the the, the first real Beautiful. answer? Uh, so the first deck that I played with preordain was a Lotus Field Underworld Breach deck. Okay, and I actually felt like there was maybe something there. I did pretty bad with it. Both leagues I played it, so maybe that's total nonsense. Uh, you know, it, it, it still just is going to fold to a lot of the good cards in the format. You know, like your opponent turned one Ragavans you, and you're like, ooh, that feels real bad. And then, of course, they hit your preordain, and that feels even worse. Uh, <laughs> but it did give this deck a good consistency tool, and I felt really happy to have it in that deck. I, I think the pairing that I've really been trying to emulate the most with Preordain is having these three cards, which is, of course, Preordain itself, but Preordain, Expressive Iteration, and The Wondering. And I'm trying to put those cards in the same deck. And I, I talked about Jeskai Breach. I think it is phenomenal there. I know everyone sees me cut uh, Urza Saga, and they go, you're insane, you, you've killed the sacred cow, how can you do this to us? But I, I really do think you're actually not looking at preordained versus Urza Saga, because that's not the card that people are cutting for it. They're cutting expressive iteration. So then you're talking about, okay, so preordained makes more sense in the deck with Urza Saga over EI. I agree with that, if you're running Urza Saga. But now you have to look at which of these cards does what I want it to do better, right? EI is playing a great fair game plan, as is Urza Saga. Both cards also get you towards combo pieces. Difference, of course, is that EI helps you find anything instead of just the zero drop. So I, I really like how the deck has felt in that sense. I think this is far and away the best feeling preordained deck I've played. Um, this one is one I would not call garbage. I, I think, I don't know, I would recommend it to anybody. I, I really think it's excellent. Um, the other deck that I played that I think is the reason that Stan contacted me was a Through the Breach deck, which I didn't actually put Expressive Iteration in, but there is the One Ring in that deck, 
and being able to use it as the glue for, oh, I'm a reactive deck. So, you know, I looked for whatever piece was good in the matchup and some mid-range turn was nice, but it also had the fallback of, oh yeah, I just completed my combo or, oh, you know, the one ring is just going to be the most impactful card here. So I'm drawing towards, as you put it, the best remand ever printed. Um, so I liked that deck actually, it was less trash than I anticipated it being, but neither does that mean it's, you know, the best thing you could be doing. Um, but I I will say that there's some interesting play patterns with this card. You were talking about playing it on turn one and I I kept finding myself in these situations where it's like, okay, I've got lightning bolt, I've got Lorene revealed and I've got a preordain. I have one land (laughs) and I'm sitting there like, like just staring at the screen, like, what do I do? You know, and actually this deck had uh, consider in it as well. So then you had the additional thought of, okay, I, I could hold up Bolt and consider, or I could play the Preordain. Okay, hold on. So in the Lorien Revealed versus Preordain argument, are you just sort of being like, Lorien Revealed could be three cards if I get to five mana? Like, I feel like that's kind of, to me, it's like the no-brainer, but maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. Yeah, so there is a definite aspect that the Lorien Revealed, you can hard cast it, but you're also, you know, you can pitch either of them to anything. And I would, you know, so I'm playing cards like Force of Negation, like Subtlety. So I would rather pitch the Lorraine reveal most of the time because it's a lot clunkier. So if there's an additional consideration there of, oh, I'd want to pitch one of these. Or, you know, I, I think the lightning bolt is also key to that example of, okay, I have the choice of one or the other, right? Um, but I, I, I think I, I was kind of getting to a point where you wanted to learn reveal first because you get the land and then you can make your scries matter. And I found myself thinking about this more than I maybe should, where I'd have a fetch land and I'd go, okay, but I scried three cards at the bottom. I don't want to draw those, but I need the land and I want to conserve the life. And I, I actually think you should think about it, but don't think about it too much. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, Stanislav. Let's get your take. You know, like I feel like you played a lot with this card. Yeah, you played a lot of different. You play a lot of different decks. So kind of like, and I think that you have your own opinion that you developed in this past week or so. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I went on a little journey. Um, you know, the first thing I did was I took Major's advice and I I played Merktide, featuring Preordain, just a list I found online that did well. It was probably Pygante's list, um, but maybe it was another one. Um, and I just felt like it still suffered from Merktide problems and the same problems that Merktide has been facing since Lord of the Rings that we kind of highlighted in the energy discussion, which is like the deck felt mopey. Um, and the weirdest realization I had while playing Merktide specifically, especially a Merktide list with preordain and expressive iteration was my expressive iterations like never felt good or at least not as good as they used to just because it didn't feel like the two mana was getting me toward a position where I was doing anything impactful enough. It was just kind of like digging for something to cheap to put in exile and something reactive to put in my hand. And I don't know. I just walked away feeling like Merktide isn't as good of a threat Expressive iteration isn't as powerful as or as preordained in this case, um, and I, I was not super impressed with with Merktide in particular. So I kept exploring 
the bowels of the internet, which is x.com. And I saw our friend Gabe post a 3-1 result with Is It Through the Breach, a deck, Perfect. a deck that like for years, years I've wanted to love and play. And, and that entire time, it just like kept burning me and burning me and punishing me for trying to play a two-card combo. But I was like, oh, but this has the One Ring and Preordain and and Lorien Revealed and a bunch of like really good cards. So maybe it's finally good enough. And I'll admit, I did not play this in a league because I needed to confirm my suspicions about Through the Breach Emrakul. Like, are we are we trying to put a two-card combo in our deck and, and hope it works? And what I found in the tournament practice rooms, so take that with a grain of salt, was I kept winning, but never with the combo. Which is like the power of the one ring into fury and uh, subtleties and like oliphants <laughs> and like a couple bolts. Um, and I was like, that's interesting. Like the one ring is really good here. And, and having like turn two ice into something on turn three with like, uh, especially like a post board blood moon, like turn two ice into turn three blood moon was really powerful. And I guess like I was even inspired by Gabe in some sense because you clearly aren't we all truly you were clearly like experimenting and brewing. And I, I wondered if I could like thread the needle between what both of those decks were doing um, of like playing like a good turn one Ragavan with with the good turn four of the one ring um, or early one rings if, if the Ragavan connects. So then I put together my own deck. A blue moon deck featuring preordain. This is, this is still Stanislav. I know. I'm I'm, I'm brewing around preordain. <laughs> That's not what I did though. That's not what I did. I was I what I was doing was I was brewing around uh, turbo blood moons and turbo rings because because what I what I think like playing with preordain made me realize is like if you're using it to dig to really powerful cards, like that's good enough if those cards just are going to like either stabilize you the way the one ring does lock out your opponent the way blood moon does or other crazy good stuff like what fury does etc so ultimately like i just put together this deck that was built around like turn one ragaman hoping to connect with it so i can get down to turn two blood moon or like if i could ice into a blood moon or turn three blood moon follow turn followed by turn for the one ring and like almost create these like two card synergies they were just good cards on their own. And I just, I bit the bullet and fired up a ring with that one. Um, and I did really well with that. I, although I went 3-2, I should have been 4-1. And I just like punted really hard by putting auto yields on my one ring trigger. Oh, Yeah. And like I could have bolted my opponent to death on my upkeep, but my one ring trigger ended up kill me, killing me. So lesson learned, never put auto yields on. But like Ever. Th- th- that was ultimately the conclusion for me, which is like, preordain like getting you to really good cards that are just like good as soon as you cast them it's probably gonna be a okay way to to run it moving forward and whatever those good cards are is going to change over time and for me right now like like gabe's inspiration of like put preordain in the one ring in the same deck and just like try to get the one ring out as soon as possible like 
that just seemed like a really great approach to brewing and modern right now in general. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the what, play the powerful cards, your brewer's advice, play the powerful cards. But I, I think you, you bring up an interesting point. You know, you're talking about, oh, I just wanted to play the good cards with it and, you know, trying to have the most impactful thing. And I, I think the reason I've been drawn so much towards combo is because what could be more impactful than winning the game, right? And I think part of this also is an impact from the one ring in and of itself. So, yeah, Emrakul doesn't deal you 15 if you just play the one ring, but still Annihilator sixes you, right? Um, Underworld Breach does win the game. Like my, I can't tell you how many times playing Breach where my opponents resolve a ring and I just go, thumbs up, you lose, right? And like that is a great feeling. And I think that is a big impact of where the meta is at. And a lot of this is kind of weird because we're talking about preordained, but somehow it's morphed into, well, it's really the one ring. So now I'm finding the one ring better. And now how am I dealing with my opponent having found the one ring better? Is, is the one ring the best cantrip in the format after all? I mean, <laughs> you get what you pay for with that one. That's for sure. Like, I mean, that's worth four mana all day. Or like 30 pound, pound sterling, 35 pounds sterling. 45 United States greenbacks, my friend. My dudes, I feel like we haven't decided anything here. <laughs> Like, I, I mean, I, which is fine. I don't think this is a card you can make a decision on. I don't think you can say that preordain is good. I don't think you can say it's bad. I think what we're really getting at is how contextual it is. And I don't even know if I know where those contexts are. I think, we, I think we're getting to a good idea, right? Which is you want to draw something good with it, whether that's a combo piece, whether that's a strong play, that's not a Soulscar Mage or something like that. But what do you think of Stanislav? Well, here's really my question. Like, outside of Cascade, if you're a blue deck, why are you not playing this card? I think that's a really good question. That's kind of what I wanted to sort of ask you two more than myself. Is like, where is Preordain good? Is it good in all blue decks? Is it just good selection that's worth the mana? I think we, you know, I think I gave a pretty good example of why I don't think it's like particularly good in Is It Prowess, but again, small sample size. So, I mean, I sort of talked about why I didn't like it in some of these control decks. You know, we just saw this four color deck from Energy do well that had Preordain. How do you feel about, you know, what I talked about with you're having to fetch triomes so it's harder to fit into your curve you have a lot of expensive cards in your deck so it's harder to do it and something else on a turn like i I mean maybe this is semantics because you might turn around and say well four color is not really a blue deck Mm. right but you know it's got the color blue in it and i think the point that we're trying to make here is you have a cast like if you can cast this card in your deck should you be doing so and I feel like decks that are doing leyline binding things are decks where I'm a little hesitant to jam it there. Again, not to say it's wrong, but I, I those are decks where I would say, yeah, maybe not there. Yeah, maybe it needs to be like double blue counterspell decks. That's kind of like a, a decent baseline, just because like the the tr- the triome plays make that so much harder. That's I don't know, like the four color example is interesting because I feel like that deck is kind of this weird abomination where it's 
it's not a blue deck because it's it's just like a mud a mud pie, a cardboard mud pie where like you're getting your cards from Omnath and other means in general, and the card selection is less important because like all of your cards sort of like play to this one very specific game state of of driving your opponent crazy. So I I think the follow-up for that with that deck in particular is a lot of decks are playing preordained by simply trimming on lands, right? And obviously you can't cut four lands and just play four preordained. It doesn't work like that, but you can trim some. In the case of four color, their mana base is actually really constricted right? You already aren't playing Hollowed Fountain in a bunch of these decks. So you have to now decide, okay, I just lose access to this shock land entirely if I want to cut lands to play this. And that that doesn't feel right. What do you think it is about decks like Demir Control, like Grixis Death Shadow, that seem like, you know, they're finding room and small sample size, sort of some initial success potentially in their testing and execution of using these cards. I mean, Grixis Death Shadow has kind of always been like the ultra cheap, efficient, like Turbo Xerox style deck. So maybe they just sort of find room in their curve to cast a preordain and get to something. My real question with, with GDS is like, exactly what are they going for sometimes when it feels like their deck is so redundant where it's like removal or interaction of some kind like you know what or it's like hand interaction right where there's gonna be like i want a thought seize i want some unholy heat i want a lightning bolt i want a spell pierce or i want like an expressive iteration or preordained to like dig for more stuff so i'm kind of like maybe it's just like hey i need another threat on the board to like back up my death shadow or i want it to get to another death shadow or i need to get to that murktide region and then i can sort of take over the end game i don't know yeah so i mean Stan mentioned glue earlier, or maybe you, you said the word glue, Shane. Maybe both of you. <laughs> but it's sticky out here. The idea, <laughs> apparently, uh, the idea that these decks are playing this card as the glue is this card can be anything, right? That's the, that's the whole point is that you, you draw this and <laughs> it could be another period, <laughs> exactly. But like, I don't know what spot I'm going to want to draw. The, the, the preordained because it's a lot of spots, right? Like I know exactly when I wanted Death Shadow. I know exactly when I wanted that Lightning Bolt. I know exactly when I wanted that Counter Spell. And the idea is that this can just translate to being any of them. And GDS is low to the ground enough, efficient enough, where one mana matters less because I can still take two game actions on turn two, right? Like if I was playing four color and... I'm now playing Preordain on two. I now probably can't play my Leyline Binding. And what am I doing with the other mana? Like I have Halfling exactly? Or, you know, there, there, of course there's a couple pieces of one mana removal, but like now I have the choice of, oh, well, here's Ren or a Preordain. So now I have to delay it another turn. Okay, now I can play Teferi or I can play the Preordain and try to get to something else. So what am I going to do? I'm going to play the Teferi, Right. So I, I think the efficiency here really makes the card do its job better of being whatever you need it to be. Yeah, that's I think it's a really good summary, right? Is like 
you know, if you need to turn a card into another card and like it can be, and, and it can like, it's not a deck, like let's say is a prowess again, where it's like, sure, this seems like a good card, but what I really need is to, you know, maintain my board state in some way, shape or form. Right. I don't know. I think like I can see how it makes sense in certain decks. I can see sort of initially how it doesn't in others, but like if we're summarizing this for like the listeners out there, right. is like, how should we be thinking when we want to use this card? I don't necessarily mean like an execution. That's like a deck deep dive type thing, right? Like how to cast preordained. We could talk about, we have talked about this for like 45 minutes, right? But like in terms of like, you know, long story short, like how are you looking to use it? And like, again, like I feel like you're playing some off the wall decks out there, but like in terms of like today's meta, is it like, is it like Stansted ultimately where it's like, Hey, in these turbo Xerox style things, whether it's Grixis Merktide, AKA Death Shadow, or it's, is it Merktide, which is just maybe not that great right now, or, you know, Demir control or something like that, where it's like, Hey, we have a lot of cheap things to do at all times. Like, is that just a place where you're thinking like, I'm going to start with four preordain and shave if it's not what I think it is. Yeah. yeah, I would say I, yes. I would. I would also say yeah, but not necessarily controlling style decks. Not necessarily decks where you want to be able to keep mana up early. Not necessarily decks where it's like, hey, if I draw this instead of a land, I could be screwed. Like those seems like the kind of things that we've talked about as being like not necessarily where it's going to shine. Well, I think when we're talking about control and blue black control being the caveat to that. I think a big aspect of that is the way that control is currently built. Like I do think consider not consider <laughs> preordain is worse in my mind in blue black control than it would be in Rix's death shadow. Does that mean that it's bad? No, but I think that four color or like blue white have much clunkier mana yeah. because yeah. you're playing tap lands. You have to play the triumphs. So it's not just control. It's the fact that I'm playing these clunky lands and then inherently my I, I have to plan around those in my curve. And also the fact that the control decks are more likely to have more expensive cards in their deck also pushes it that direction. So I, I think it's think about efficiency when you're casting this card. Yeah. All right. I feel like we talked about a lot, decided not too much, but had a good conversation. Uh, about this first week of kind of preordained experiences out there. If any of you all listening uh, want to tell us what you're feeling about preordained, feel free. You know, shout, sh- give us a, an, an X at, at the dive down and stuff like that, or you know, shoot us an email, whatever. Whatever. Come to the Discord. Come hang out. Tell us what you're doing. Um, Spider, before we get out of here, um, what are you doing lately? Are you doing any kind of content creation? Are you doing any streaming? Like, how can you? Know, what do you want people to be engaging with you about magic? Yeah, so I had been kind of away from the streaming game for a while. And that's not to say that I'm going to be live every day now, but I've been working in some more streams. I I think before this, it had been a good six months or something. I mean, it had really been a while. So now you might actually see Spider Space on Twitch going live sometimes. So if you want to check that out, that's probably the way you're going to see me do the most. But if you want to see me for consistency, Casting those preordains, you know. Uh, I guess it's X. I'm still not used to that. It's still Twitter in my mind, but it's uh, it's Spider Space MTG over at 
X. Awesome. Uh, thanks for thanks for being on. It's great to have you on. I, I mean, your 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 particular point of view and, and mindset um, are very valued. So thanks for coming back on the pod. It's good to talk to you. All right, Stanislav, your voice hurts. I'm going to get us out of here, wrapping up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to the pod. You get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. If you use Apple Podcasts, you can feel free, please, to leave us a rating and or a review over there. If you want to submit a question or reach out, you know, the dive down on X slash Twitter, you can email us, thedivedown at gmail.com. If you want to go over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash thedivedown, the best way to support us directly or as directly as you can probably get besides handing us a $20 bill. You can also go to the store at thedivedown.com slash store grab some gear over there. We talked a lot about rhinos. Get yourself a rhino boys t-shirt. Manatraders.com. Thanks for sponsoring us there. You get 10% off of your first two months for the Dive Down 2023 sign-up code. The Dive Down 2023 is also your code for 10% off of your first order at heavyplay.com for some awesome deck and dice boxes and play mats. Amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using code THEDIVEDOWN23 for 15% off your first order. And of course, Nerve Age Gaming, we talked a lot about them. Dive 8 for their online paper card store, 8% off your order. As always, thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and scry to and draw a card!